Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro, and this is Disabulletin, where we cover the latest issues across the country and around the world impacting individuals with disabilities. This week, we continue our discussion of the Supreme Court case heard last Wednesday, Perez versus Sturgis School District. The case concerns two laws, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, which requires children with disabilities be provided a free, appropriate public education, or FAPE, and the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, which prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities in general. Miguel Luna Perez of Sturgis, Michigan, was denied access to a professional sign language interpreter and instead provided an ineffective one over the course of 12 years. In that time, his parents were falsely told that their son was on his way to graduation, only to receive a certificate of completion upon completing his senior year of high school. After receiving the news, the Perez family filed a lawsuit against the Michigan Department of Education and the Sturgis School Board as well, on the grounds that both violated the IDEA and ADA acts. However, the Sturgis Public School District offered a settlement to pay for Perez to attend the Michigan School for the Deaf and compensate the family's legal fees as well, which would technically satisfy Perez's lawsuit under the IDEA Act, should the family have accepted, which they did. Then they filed a lawsuit under monetary damages under the ADA, which, unlike the IDEA Act, entitles them to do so. The question now before the court is whether by accepting the district settlement, the Perez family also forfeited their right to further litigation for monetary damages under the ADA. Prior to the Supreme Court ruling last week, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled Perez had forfeited his right to sue under the ADA by settling instead of going through the lengthy process of appeals for both claims known in legalese as exhaustion and is mandated by the IDEA Act a claim echoed by Sturgis District lawyer Shay Deboretsky in last week's hearing. On the other side, Perez's lawyer Ramon Martinez argued that although Perez had settled his claims under the IDEA Act, he could still pursue his claims for monetary damages separately under the ADA. Today we go through some of the most notable moments of the hearing involving exchanges between the Supreme Court justices and both Ramon Martinez of the Perez camp and Shay Deboretsky of the Sturgis camp. This is a new segment of Disabilities coverage we like to call the Jewels of Justice. Jewel number one is one that we discussed last week that occurred at the beginning of the hearing with Justice Thomas and Perez's attorney, Ramon Martinez. Well, I, I guess the difference, the, the difficulty I'm having is I can't see where ADA fits in with IDEA. Right. That seems to be an entirely different remedy. And whether we, when we have PLRA cases, et cetera, it's usually about the same thing. A hundred percent, Your Honor. I think that's exactly the right way to think about the statute. And I think what Congress was trying to do here was essentially say, we want you to have rights under both statutes. We want you to be able to go into court if necessary and vindicate your separate rights to separate types of relief under both statutes. But in circumstances, in certain circumstances, we want you to go through the IDEA administrative procedures first. And the text of the statute says, that if your ADA claim is only seeking things that you can't get under the IDEA, in the words of Fry, if the consequence of your ADA claim, if you brought it in the IDEA procedure, would be that the IDEA hearing officer would have to send you away empty-handed because that statute just does not provide you that type of relief, that type of relief is not available, then you do not have to exhaust. I guess that's why I'm having trouble considering it exhaustion. Right. Because it seems to be, uh, normally you would think of exhaustion as being uh, similar. The relief would be similar to the uh, exhausted claims. 
Exactly. Uh, and this seems to be an entirely different statute, so I don't understand even the use of the term exhaustion here. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a unique sort of a one-of-a-kind statute, and I think that in this kind of circumstance when you have a unique statute, two things. One, it's especially important to focus on the exact text of the statute. And the text of the statute, the overwhelmingly most reasonable reading of the statute, the only reasonable reading of the statute in our view, is that if you are seeking money damages, and everyone agrees money damages are not available under the IDEA, then you just do not have to exhaust. The exhaustion requirement doesn't apply. Even if you disagreed with us on that, though, I think that in a, in a, in a situation like this, where the re- exhaustion requirement is saying you need to exhaust the IDEA administrative procedures on your IDEA claim, in a circumstance where those procedures specifically say you need to engage in a settlement process, presumably in good faith, and if the school comes to you in the settlement process and says, you're right, we were wrong, we're going to give you everything you're asking for, we're going to give you everything you're entitled to under the IDEA, of course the statute wants you to say yes. And that's exactly what happened here. Miguel got an offer of full relief and he accepted it. That's, that is a success story under the IDEA. It's not a success story in total. In, 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 it doesn't make Miguel completely whole because he suffered other damages as well. But under the IDEA, he got everything he was entitled to, well, the, the, and the, he, the he two, exhausted. The, the two are not entirely unrelated. I mean, uh, in each, in both cases, your your claims are going to be based on the denial of an FAPE or a FAP, uh, 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 and it's certainly reasonable. Uh, to assume that the settlement process under the IDEA could well be significant in resolving uh, the other claims. Um, it seems to me that what's unusual in this case is that the school board said, well, don't worry about those. We're going to settle this. I mean, if this were any other type of litigation, the lawyers would want to say, we've got a lot on the table, and let's figure out how to resolve it. Uh, and it's not clear to me why uh, you would necessarily or artificially separate those two. And, of course, your your friend on the other side uh, has a construction answer to uh, uh, your notion of how the exhaustion works. The relief, the relief you're seeking is, is based uh, uh, on uh, a FAPE. That's what's going to be pertinent in all those cases. Why isn't that? So, so two points to that, Your Honor. First of all, I think it's certainly true that if you bring the IDEA claim you could have a settlement discussion that encompasses not just the IDEA claims, but also other claims that you might have that haven't yet been asserted in that process. And I think the normal thing that we would expect is that when, bar- when parties are bargaining, and if, this, if the child is going to give up those other claims, they're going to get something uh, in return. In this case, that settlement discussion happened. In the, you know, the, the, there was a settlement discussion, and Miguel would have turned down a request to give up ADA rights without any compensation for those ADA rights. And the effect of Sturgis's rule is that if he accepts the settlement on the IDEA claim, it like automatically gets rid of, it essentially gives the school a full release, a get-out-of-jail-free card on the ADA liability. And that's just not right. And I think the second thing I was going to say, Your Honor, is that this isn't artifi- an artificial limit. This is a limit that comes out of the text of the statute. And Congress was very clear. It chose words very precisely. And it said that you, it made clear you don't have to exhaust if the relief you're seeking in the non-IDEA claim is not available under the IDEA. And I think in, in these circumstances, it makes sense to, to read that language the way you would apply. You would look at the same words 
elsewhere in the IDEA. The, the same word relief appears elsewhere, and it means what we say it means. That's the way the, the word relief is used in other legal contexts. That's consistent and, I think, reinforced by the reasoning of Fry, which says that if you have to go to the hearing officer and the hearing officer would necessarily turn you away empty-handed, we don't want exhaustion in that circumstance. This Court's decision in Carr versus Saul announces the very common-sense principle. Uh, this is two terms ago, saying that it, it makes little sense to require litigants to present claims to adjudicators who are <coughs> powerless to grant the relief requested. In the clip we just heard, it appeared as though Justice John Roberts and Justice Clarence Thomas were expressing mutual confusion regarding why settlement claims were different under the ADA and IDEA Acts when they could in fact be similar. But now we turn to our second gem, in which Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson appears to join Justice Roberts and Thomas on the question of the strange idea that the IDEA and ADA damages can go to court at the same time. And even, even if it is odd, though, Mr. Martinez, isn't that exactly what the statute seems to contemplate? I mean, I guess I'm wondering whether or not we're even in a position to question the notion of dual uh, proceedings, given that, at least as I read the statute, Congress is contemplating that you'll have a situation in which there's a civil action that's seeking relief that is not available under the IDEA. So I, I take this to mean that Congress thought that dual actions, at least in some circumstances, were possible, and that was fine. I think that's exactly uh, right under the statute, and I think that the nice thing about the statute is that it doesn't take away the, the inherent discretion of district courts to manage their dockets in this way. And if you thought, or five of you thought, that it was important to give some guidance to lower courts and sort of remind them that if they wanted to, to stay parallel proceedings, if you're concerned about that, you could do that. On the other hand, uh, Justice Jackson, I think you are right that the statute does not seem to say that it has to be a stay. I mean, in, in, in my view, and I, maybe you can just react to that, is, isn't what really is going on here that Congress was concerned about people doing an end run around the IDEA in a certain way? That is, you have, you know, a set of facts concerning the denial of a fate that could give rise to claims under, let's say, both of these statutes, the IDEA and the ADA, and um, you know, the, the plaintiff is the master of their complaint and can decide which statute uh, to bring it under. And so in a situation in which the relief that is being asked for is only the kind of relief that is available under the IDEA, maybe Congress didn't want the person to call that an ADA statute and thereby get around the exhaustion. But if you're asking for something else, if your claim is something else, then Congress didn't have a problem with both of those proceeding in tandem. I, I think that's, that's an absolutely fair way of looking at the statute, and there's certainly no circumvention concern when the only thing you need is something that you can't get under the IDA. We now turn to the man in the defendant corner, in this case, Shea Dvoretsky, representing Sturgis. Our first moment in this exchange with the justices occurred late in the proceedings before Justice Neil Gorsuch, who questioned Dvoretsky on the extent to which Martinez had to fully exhaust his claims. And on that, on that, I, I just want to press you on that assertion because your friend on the other side says no. Uh, if we were to adopt your rule, uh, the parties couldn't contract to allow an ADA claim to be brought later. That a settlement would itself extinguish uh, the potential for an ADA claim. You have to your theory of exhaustion requires proceeding through the administrative process altogether. You want to respond to that? 
Yes. I, I don't think that's right, Justice Gorsuch. I think that the exhaustion requirement under the IDEA in light of this court's clear statement rule, uh, although it's not a fourth question presented here, I don't think the court would likely find that the exhaustion requirement is a jurisdictional one. And so it is something that either way, whether you adopt our rule well, or absent the, waiver by the other side, it would operate in the way uh, Mr. Martinez suggests, wouldn't it? A- absent a waiver, it would, and that, I think, takes us to the default rule point. And in our final highlight, we find a diamond in the rough that came from our most valuable justice in this case, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Can I ask you the same, maybe the same question as a hypothetical, just so that I understand, because I think I'm a little confused. So suppose we have a student who has both a viable IDEA claim and a viable ADA claim arising out of the same facts, which is the school is not giving her what she needs to get an appropriate education. But for whatever reason, she only wants to bring the claim for money damages. Maybe she's going into her senior year. She's given up on education. She wants to go to work. So she doesn't want any of the, you know, adjust my education, give me the actual accommodations. She just wants to drop out and go to work and get compensatory damages for the harm that's been caused, she says, by the school's neglect under the ADA. Does she have to exhaust using the procedures in this statute or not? Um, I think she does, but in order to answer that question, I also have to, to just challenge one premise of it, which is I think that in generally speaking, even after you have graduated, you can still get redress for the denial of a FAPE through the IDEA. But not compensatory in- damages. She doesn't want any of the injunctive relief related to the circumstances of education. So whatever the relief is that she could have gotten from the hearing officer about the state or status of her educational circumstances, she disclaims. All she wants is to be compensated for what she says occurred to her during the period of her education. And so she says, I don't want to bring an IDEA claim. I have an ADA claim. Does she have to sit in front of a hearing officer and talk about ways in which her education could be changed, et cetera? Uh, yes, and I think what she could get under the IDA in that situation is compensatory education. She can have additional, even after she's graduated, additional. But she forward- doesn't want that. She doesn't want that. She does. She's saying, "I'm 18. I don't have to go to school anymore. I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm dropping out. I just want compensatory damages under the ADA." What I'm trying to understand is why do we have a statute, in your view, that would make her exhaust? under the IDA, the IDEA, as if she was asking for that other form of relief. Because whatever her preferences as to damages, Congress's priority in enacting the ADA and in it's reflected in 1450L <clears throat> was first and foremost to make sure that people get a FAPE. And so the rememy that she would get for the denial of a FAPE may not be immediately her first choice. And you don't she see might- yourself as reading out the first part of the statute that says nothing about this limits the person's remedies or rights under the non-IDEA uh, uh, statute. I-, I don't because the second part of 1415L starts out by saying except that before the filing of a civil action.